Welcome to The Brain Trust, a physician's guide to diagnosing Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, brought to you from the Illinois Academy of Family Physicians. I'm Dr. Kate Rowland, family physician, member of the IAFP, and faculty at Rush University. Funding for this podcast series was provided by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health. The goal of The Brain Trust and this podcast series is to educate and empower the primary care clinician in the early detection, diagnosis, and management of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Clinical resources, free CME, and other educational materials are available online at thebraintrustproject.com. CME credit is available for each podcast. The Illinois Academy of Family Physicians is accredited by the Accreditation Council of Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. Information on how to receive credit can be found on the Brain Trust Project website. Thank you for joining us as we empower each other and provide training on the early detection of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And now, today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to our Brain Trust podcast series, the next one in line. We're just recovering in Chicago from a really cold spell after the new year. But today, we have a really special start of the uh, year with a new mini-series we're starting to really get a sense of the care partner perspective uh, for somebody living with Alzheimer's disease or related dementia. So we've been lucky enough to be able to connect with multiple caregivers from different perspectives and backgrounds, uh, and today will be the start of that series. So uh, joining me for these sort of set of presentations and the podcast for The Brain Trust will be a close colleague of mine at my work at the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center, where I'm a professor in family and preventive medicine. And that's Miss um, Susan Frick, who's a social worker uh, at the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center. So I was able to pick up Susan in my Toyota Corolla, and we left the parking lot at Rush about 30 minutes ago, uh, heading south to Lansing to see a wonderful woman by the name of uh, Miss uh, Katrina Miller. And we've got about five minutes or so before we get to her place. So I thought I would just even start by asking Susan a few questions about sort of her experience working with caregivers, and especially in a program that we have been uh, offering for many years in the Chicagoland area that she oversees with individuals experiencing dementia and their caregivers called without warning. So Susan, thanks for joining me on this uh, little trip and uh, field trip we're making to Lansing today. And I'm glad that what roads are not too icy today, but tell me a little bit about, and our audience a little bit about without warning. Thanks, Dr. Shaw. Yes, we've had without warning going now for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 wow. years this April, which is We've amazing. known each other that long? Really? That oh long, yeah, oh, yeah. And <laughs> this group is for people experiencing younger onset Alzheimer's disease, so under the age of 65. And it's a group that I find just an amazing group of people in that we support both the people with dementia and their family members. And over the years, our group, when we used to meet in person, we would be sometimes 80 people at a meeting, you know, just because it was, and we would break into so many different groups. Now we've been meeting on Zoom, which has some nice benefits in that really anyone, we have people who Zoom in from Florida, Delaware, all around Illinois. So it's not that you have to be local to the Chicago area to be able to be there. Oh, that's and great. It is. There has been some, you know, even though COVID wasn't expected or, you know, it's nice to be in person, it, there's been some benefits to being on Zoom too. And 
what the group has really taken on over the 20 years is telling their story and yeah. and helping. They've created a documentary. They've created a lot of little vignettes that are online about what it's like to live with Alzheimer's and what it's like to be a care partner to somebody living with Alzheimer's. Yeah. So maybe if you can tell us a little bit about who we're visiting today, Miss Miller, uh, from your experience working with her. Uh, I think you mentioned she was part of one of those like presentations before about telling the story and then just getting us as we get closer, just giving us a sense of who we'll be talking with. Today. You bet. You bet. So Katrina has been part of the group for a couple of years now, started through COVID and is caring for her husband, Michael, who his care needs have increased over the time. And she has been our caregiver group through since COVID has been actually meeting weekly on mm -hmm. Zoom because it it was easy just to turn on our Zoom and be there. And people were needing such support when they were so isolated and lonely. So she has been a wonderful resource to other family members. She, as you mentioned, we do a lot of panel presentations and she was part of one of our panel presentations for what we call the dementia leadership course and it was for people who work in the field in all different areas but are leaders in wherever they work and so she was part of a panel that i think had maybe seven or so caregivers and she shared her story of caring oh, for Michael. that's terrific yeah so i'm really looking forward to meeting with her so it seems like we've pulled up now uh close to her driveway here and uh so why don't we just get out of the car briefly and uh, walk over and uh ring the front door and uh see what's going on oh hi miss miller how are you i see you you were prepared for us coming into the uh parking lot there so really appreciate you opening the door on this cold day so my name is dr shy i know we're meeting for the first time but you know susan who's right here hey good susan. to see you good to yeah. see you Thank you so much for doing this with us. And actually, Dr. Shaw, when you said to say my relationship with Katrina, I realized all my interactions with Katrina have been on not in person. So, Oh, my gosh. So this is the first time you're being yeah. in person. Oh, wow. What a special <laughs> day then. Okay, um, that's terrific. Yeah, it's been on Zoom. So, Katrina, could you maybe start? Because we're, we're really wanting to kind of hear about your experience and your experience with Michael and how it was first getting the diagnosis, being able to interact with your primary care physician, you know, and, and helping those who are listening to know what they could do to support someone who might be coming to their practice. So could you maybe say how it was when you first went, like what you first started noticing with Michael and how it was getting, talking to your primary the first time or his primary the first time? Oh, okay. Well, probably prior to our actually going to the the doctor and voicing concerns about him. I'd noticed maybe six months, probably longer, but just within six months, it was starting to increase just different changes with Michael. His he was forgetting his keys, leaving things at home. We have we had a daycare center, a standalone daycare center with a huge staff. And he was just they were calling me more often for things than typical because he was forgetting. And it wasn't just your usual things. I think the the main reason I was like, we've got to go see a doctor is my husband wore a suit basically seven days a week. <laughs> so he could tie a tie in his sleep. And one day he came in the bedroom and he was getting dressed and he was like, I need, can you help me tie my tie? I can't, for some reason, I can't tie my tie. And I about fell off the bed. I was like, 
you can't tie your tie. And he was serious as our attack. And he's like, no, I'm like, Michael, I don't know how to tie a tie. <laughs> so I can Google it if you, you know, figure it out. And he was eventually, you know, where he was going. He was like, oh, I'll just get somebody else to help me. So I knew then there were a lot of things that were happening, but that was like, okay, we got to see a doctor. Now I have to say, we had a doctor, his primary care physician, Michael, for months, anytime he had to go see him, he'd had some issues with gout and he would go to the doctor by himself and I'd say, did you, did you mention to him about, you know, your memories? Oh no, I forgot. I'll tell him next time. So he'd gone maybe two or three times over the course of maybe about a year. Finally, I was like, you know what, let's, we need to switch doctors. I wasn't real thrilled with him. So I was like, well, we, we, we need to switch doctors. I'm going to find another one and I'll go with you because it's about time for your annual checkup. And so we go, I find a doctor and just hoped and prayed that she would, you know, be okay. And we get in there and it turned out to be the best experience ever. Were you at all nervous when you went in there, like to bring up the subject about memory loss? And was it hard to say it in front of Michael? It was. It was. Even though I'd been encouraging him to talk to the doctor, I knew he wasn't because he didn't want to bring up the subject to them. But he's always been like a really even keeled person. So I knew it wouldn't be a problem to bring it up, but I needed to find a reason to be there with him. So since we were switching doctors and I had we had the same doctor and I was not I hadn't switched myself over yet. I said, well, let me just go to meet her, too. And I'll just go with you to your appointment. And he was fine with that. So, yes, I was nervous mostly because I felt like I didn't know how she was going to take it just meeting us and then me just throwing it out there. It was his annual visit. So I thought, well, you know, we'll just let her go through the the whole visit thing and then I'll bring it up if he doesn't bring it up. So yeah, that part was was kind of a little, it didn't make me a little nervous, not so much about him, but more so how the doctor was going to take from that appointment, how would you say life has changed? That set you on the course then of getting the diagnosis? And that was when I said earlier, it was like the best visit. She turned out to be, if I could have chosen how things went, I could not have done a, a better job. We went in and she sat down with him and she went through the whole, his regular physical thing. And then she asked him, she was like, oh, is there anything else, Mr. Miller? And he was like, nope. Yep, that's about it. And I was like, well, I do have one question. And I kind of threw it in there. And I was like, you know, he's been having some issues with his memory. And she said, really, Mr. Miller, you're having problems with your memory? And he's like, no, not really. I work with a lot of women and they just stress me out. It's just, I'm just stressed out. And when I tell you, it took about two or three questions for me to realize that she was giving him the MME. MMS. Right. When it took a few questions for me to me to realize what she was doing, I don't think he ever did. It was just that smooth Mm -hmm. that moved from my question to giving him this test, just the way she did it. It was so personable. You know, when he mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm under stress, she asked him about what kind of work that he did and it, it just kind of went from there. You know, your anniversary, your wife, your this. And I was literally shocked at his some of his answers because he was so far off. And so that that was 
hard. <laughs> she didn't seem to flinch from from his answers. You know, she asked him what month it was. He didn't know. She asked him the day. She asked him what year it was. And that really threw me. I had to kind of look away when he didn't get what year it was, right? Because I had no idea. I had no idea he didn't know those things. But I was so impressed. And from there, she went straight to, well, you know what, Mr. Miller, you are have there were a few things that I'm concerned with that you didn't remember. And he was fine. He didn't seem to be upset about it or anything. And she says, we're going to start off just doing blood work to rule out anything physical as to why, you know, your memory's getting bad and and we'll go from there. And he's like, okay, fine. And it, it was, for me, it was just like, oh my God, he's worse than I thought he was. But for him and her, they're just like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're, we're good. We're just going to go on with the next. And she made sure she got all the blood work done you know, set us with up with Northwestern, set us up with their Alzheimer's clinic, and he's got the clinical testing and all of that done. It took about nine months from the time we saw her initially till the definitive diagnosis, just getting into appointments and covering everything. And I felt like she was just so thorough in making sure that we had all of that taken care of, you know, down to the spinal tap was the last thing or they don't call it that anymore. But anyway. When it sounds like in that moment, you really appreciated her taking what you said seriously and just weaving it into the appointment. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and she didn't ask any questions like to make me feel like, oh, you know, you're just, he's saying he's just under stress. She just took it mm-hmm. and just to see like she needed to see for herself. And I just felt like oh, this was exactly what I needed. I needed someone to just kind of, because you don't know what direction to go in, you know, mm-hmm. see things going a little odd with your your loved one, but just not knowing. And I wouldn't have known, okay, well, get in touch with this person or get. So she just kind of took the ball and, and ran with it. And that for me took away a lot of, a lot of the pressure too. Wow. Oh, now that's, you know, a terrific uh, story about an experience. Yeah, that's like a master class of what we would want all primary care physicians to be able to deliver. But I'm glad you had that experience. And I, I'm sure a lot of families have that experience, but sometimes we don't always talk about that, like the good and then also some of the more difficult parts of a visit and setting up that entire you know, engagement you know, with the first visit, getting to know somebody, then hearing this information about memory and then seamlessly flowing through it. it was, uh, that's really nice. And I'm glad, you know, you were able to express how you felt in that moment that you were nervous, but she kind of helped to kind of work you through it, never put you really on the spot for bringing up the issue and then just working with him. So he was comfortable so you could get the information and then having a plan of, you know, how to approach things. I, I was curious in that, you know, nine months, like she would order the test, right? Or, you know, set up the next appointment. So it sounds like you were having in the diagnostic period as you were trying to do the other aspects of everything. She was also, you were connecting with her again and again until that nine months happened and you got the final diagnosis. Yes, she actually, until we started dealing with the Alzheimer's memory clinic, she was the one that made sure that all of the other testing was done and she followed up. I mean, they were kind of, it was easy you know, for the, her to get the, the test results when he got his when he took the tests with the uh, neurobehavior tests and those kinds of things, but she always followed up. And that was the good, the good part. I was so impressed with her. I changed immediately and switched up. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. He's kind of me in between, but just in the period of time where she, Michael would come back and, and see her, 
her engagement with him was was always she was very she was very much a part of that whole process. You know, as things happened, she would get in touch with us as well as the the behavior clinic itself. Right. There was that part of it was helpful because, you know, dealing with a lot of different doctors sometimes is is hard. But dealing with one that was there from the beginning and knows you know, where you started, that that makes that Yeah, that, that definitely helps to kind of quarterback with you to kind of, you know, help you uh, you know, um integrate all of those different perspectives and then to ask questions and to share information. Um, and then I was kind of curious also because, you know, usually in a primary care setting, you know, the doctor plays a bigger role, but it's really a team approach now. And I was just kind of curious, were there other people in the office that also made the interaction better for you as you received and worked through the initial and diagnosis part? His primary care physician was was in contact with the behavior clinic they also put us in contact with physical therapy, no? well, occupational okay. therapists, and social workers. So they all worked together. And as his medications were adjusted once he was diagnosed, they all talked with regard to that, which medications would be best for him because he does have high blood pressure and was dealing with a few other things. And so they they did talk amongst themselves because. Whenever one of the appointments was made, she always knew. And she, you know, when we come back and follow up with her, she was always very well aware of what new medications he was on or new, anything that was going on with him. And was just really good about his change. Because once he was diagnosed, the changes, I would say, they were, they became very, they were more pronounced and noticeable after the fact. And she adjusted how she dealt with him. You know, there was times where he couldn't get up on the scale or he couldn't get up on the the, the examination table when he would come in for visits because he went to see both every six months. And she would, she just adjusted and just everything about her. She's gone now, but <laughs> she went to another, another state, but. Oh, okay. All right. We got to hunt her down somehow and find her and have a discussion with her for this series. So I might ask for her information offline. But the other thing I was curious about, because you also mentioned, you know, it is not just the loved one that has the memory loss and how we uh, approach them in a humane and dignified manner to help them out. But you're like the spouse, right? The caregiver. And, And you also made this decision to change your care to her. And, and, you know, we always think about it that it's not only the person that has the dementia and gets the diagnosis that is affected by it, but it's also their loved one, right? Their spouse, their caregiver, their care partner. So I'm kind of curious, like, you know, did you feel supported as even a caregiver to have your own concerns, questions sort of answered, whether when you went together or you had time separately when you met with her for your own visits and things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I would have my appointments, initially I went by myself. Eventually he was with me all the time, but she always asked, you know, would ask about him and how I was doing, you know, was there any, any additional help that I felt like I needed? Just the care that she took in, in asking about me with regard to the situation, not my visit to her made the world of difference as well. I must say I felt the same way, not just about her as the my primary care physician and his, but also with the support staff in the neurobehavior clinic. The same thing. They they were 
very conscious of what I needed and how I was adjusting to, you know, taking care of Michael. There was never, I never felt like I was being abandoned. Like mm. it, everything was just about him. It was always, I've, I've never felt this. When uh, Susan and I were first talking about doing this with you, I was like, oh, I had the best experience. I'm sure other people have not had the best, you know, because sometimes, you know, you get lost in the in the shuffle, but I never had that that feeling. So, yeah, I can't. I, yeah, I, no, that's great. That's no, awesome. thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad you were able to get that support, too, because, you know, it's, it's as important to keep the caregiver feeling connected and strong and uh, engaged and maintain their health as it is for the person that's uh, experiencing the memory troubles and the uh, dementia due to Alzheimer's. And maybe I can turn it over to Susan to just kind of, you know, as you reflect on that process now, uh, maybe some of the, uh, the things you you kind of take as learning points that you might want to share to our audience of, uh, you know, usually primary care physicians at practice, sometimes residents, sometimes medical students, and then staff at, at primary care settings and family medicine around the state of Illinois and others. But yeah, Susan, if you wanted to kind of follow up on the reflection you piece. Bet. Yeah. Great. And, you know, I, I was kind of curious, Katrina, because um, your appointment went so well, which is so great. But you did have that like year period, it sounded like about a year where you were hoping Michael would bring it up at an appointment and he didn't. So that must have been a stressful time, I'd imagine, because you were seeing these changes and they weren't really getting addressed. Like when you think back on that time period up until you had this appointment that went so well, is there anything you wish you had done differently or anything that you look back on and go, oh, we could have done that? Or was it just that it needed to develop for a year before before you brought it up to the doctor. There there have been times where early on I kind of struggled with that. I was like, oh, I wonder if I'd have said something, if I had have gone with him to his appointments when he's when he had those appointments that I was like, don't forget to ask about your memory issues. So yeah, I would say if I could do anything different, I would have probably addressed it a little sooner, maybe six months sooner. Me physically going with him and asking. But then I go back to, at that time, we would have been with the doctor that I wasn't all that thrilled with. <laughs> and things may not have gone as well as they did mm -hmm. at the time that we actually went. Right. Not to say that he wouldn't have, but it may have just been a totally different experience going with him. I don't think I would have had the same experience had I gone sooner. So I didn't really dwell too much on the fact that, oh man, I should have gone. Mm -hmm. You know, I, if I'd have known this was going to be the outcome, I knew something was going on in my head. I was thinking it was something more physical than, and which Alzheimer's is physical, but physical, like a physical mm -hmm. problem that was going on that was affecting his memory. And I would have definitely had a different experience had I address this with his doctor. So part of me, yeah, I felt a little guilt about it taking so long. But then when I think about the experience that I had, I'm glad that it happened the way that it did. Right. And I'm not saying you should feel any guilt on this because um, no, I, I think it, it did all work out so well yeah, in, yeah. in how it, it came about for you then. And I think it's hard because like you said, you were thinking it would be something different than Alzheimer's. Yeah. And so it takes, I think, what I've heard from families and without warning, it takes a while to like wrap your head around what's happening and what's going on. And I've yeah. had so many families say the, the six month thing that they almost feel like they feel like they were always about six months behind 
in yeah. reacting to something, which I think is so typical. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I definitely think uh, I appreciate you know you sharing all of the stories and your insight. Um, I think it's going to be very helpful for our audience, um, and this is a great opportunity. And I know you've got a really busy schedule, you know, and and working through things. And we appreciate the time, uh, and you're welcoming us to your home today to talk with you a little bit about your experiencing uh, your experiences and sharing it with a broader audience. And um, yeah, I'd love to, you know, um, connect with you afterwards and see if we can uh, follow up maybe at a later date with another conversation about, you know, then after the diagnosis and the care received and, you know, how that went with the primary doctor and the things you wanted in that setting. And then also, yeah, you know, just understanding, you know, uh, engaging even with the primary care doctor that you saw just to understand, like, where did they learn those skills, right? Because it's always, you know, important that we share that and we explore it. But thank you again, Katrina and Miss Miller, for all of your time today. And we really appreciate it. Welcome. No, and I'd welcome another visit. That would be fun. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you to our expert faculty and to you, our listeners, for tuning into this episode. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for future topics, please contact us at podcast at thebraintrust.com. For more episodes of The Brain Trust, please visit our website, thebraintrustproject.com. You'll find transcripts, speaker disclosures, instructions to claim CME credit, and other Alzheimer's resources as well. Subscribe to this podcast series on Healthcare Now Radio, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you tune into the next episode of The Brain Trust. <laughs>